year where we um, again sing and um, think about the birth of our Savior. As uh, Brother Mark said, it is very much a strange way, um, but um, most of the time, God's ways is strange to human comprehension. And um, if we understood it, that would mean we understand God. And if we could understand God, then we would all be in trouble. Amen. Luke chapter number 2, notice verse number 1. The Bible says that it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with his spouse wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should, bring, she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. God, I pray that you'd help us as we uh, open up the Scripture. I pray you'd help us to rightly divide the Word of Truth. And God, I pray that you would uh, do a work in our hearts and the Spirit of God would uh, convict us and encourage us and uh, show us the things that we need to see. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the honor, give you the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want you in your mind to go back with me to the book of Genesis and we find in the book of Genesis that a man is in the garden. God has created man and woman and they are in the garden. We do not know for necessarily how long that he that they were in the garden before the fall happened, but nevertheless they're in the garden and they are enjoying the the wonders that God has made and then uh, we know how the, that the, uh, Satan come and, and, um, and tempted Eve and she fell into sin and then um, gave to Adam and then he fell into sin. And we know about the fall of man. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, um, Wherefore by his one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men. Uh, for that all have sinned. And so uh, the garden take, in the garden we see the fall of man. And then before the Lord, before God takes man out of the garden, we find that God gives us the, uh, the first mention of the Redeemer. We find that He makes a statement that uh, He is talking to Satan and He talks about how that um, the Savior will come and bruise uh, uh, Satan's head and Satan shall bruise his heel and and then we uh, know that uh, God uh, uh, sacrificed the animals and made um, uh, coats of skin for Adam and Eve as He uh, sent them out of the garden. And so and we find that God, this was not a, that sin, that sin coming into the world was not a surprise to God. Matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, you'll find that the Bible says that Jesus stood as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So before God ever even made the world, God knew that there was going to have to be a Savior. 
There's a song that I grew up singing, and uh, many of you have probably probably heard it. Very popular uh, gospel song, and um, it is it, the name of it is "Oh What a Savior." And uh, the, one, one of the first lines is, "Is they search through heaven to find a savior," and they didn't have to search because God already knew uh, uh, who it was going to be. And so we find that this fall takes place. Sin enters into the world. Uh, and as promised by God, a Redeemer would come. And so we find that this Redeemer would come as the Savior of sinners. And, and that, that's the whole reason why we celebrate Christmas is for the, for the whole fact that God has sent this Redeemer for you and I. But I want us to notice something, maybe something a little different uh, in this text, I want you to notice first of all, verse, uh, first uh, of all, the setting that is found in verse number one down through verse number three. We find that first of all, there's some predictions that take place uh, in the Old Testament. In the book of Micah, chapter number five, verse number two, the Bible says, "But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, and though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto, unto me, that is to be the to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth has been, uh, been from old, uh, from everlasting. And so we see that there's a prediction here that is made hundreds of years before Christ is ever born. But the problem is uh, that this, this prediction that takes place that is given to Micah that the Savior of the world is going to be born from Bethlehem. The problem is, is the lady that is carrying the, the Redeemer of sinners, the one that God has sent from heaven to redeem us, is not in Bethlehem. But rather, she is in Nazareth, which is 70 miles north of Bethlehem. And so as she is in Nazareth, and the, the prediction is that this Savior is going to be born in Bethlehem, there again, there's that problem. Now, for us, 70 miles is not a lot. Um, there, there again, we traveled so long uh, in ministry, and, and even, even now, I tell, uh, when we talk about going home to Mississippi, I tell her, you know, you realize that it's only uh, uh, going back home to Mississippi is only two hours more than what I used to drive every Sunday and every Wednesday. And so it don't seem like that much to me. Six hours don't seem that much to me when I was so used to driving that much. And, but it is not, to, uh, in their day, obviously it is not like what we would think of, of being able to get on the highway and just... Uh, uh, set cruise control and go, uh, but the roads were very rough. They're very treacherous, uh, and so the problem is is getting is getting this lady that is carrying the redeemer and getting her uh, to seventy miles seventy miles south of where she is, uh, getting her where the prediction is made, uh, and getting it done. And isn't it amazing that we see the provision that is, that is found? In verse number 1, we see that he says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from who? Caesar Augustus. That the whole world should be taxed. And the Bible says, And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. So there again, remember, you have the prediction that's made. You have the prophecy that's made in Micah chapter number 5. That the Savior is going to be born in Bethlehem, 
The problem is the lady who is carrying the Savior is 70 miles north of the place that he's going to be born. And isn't it amazing? God uses a, a lost, a, a pagan ruler to make sure his prophecy is fulfilled. That is the way God chose to get that lady who was carrying the Redeemer 70 miles south. He used a person who did not know God, who did not believe that God was going to send a Redeemer, that he did not know he did not know the salvation plan. He did not know the prophecy that was made in Micah. He did not know the prophecy that was made in Genesis. But God used this man this lost man to make everything in line the way he had it done. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful that God can, God, even God can control the people who don't even believe in him? Now, when the, when this when this uh, Caesar Augustus had this tax, uh, all he was thinking about was money. All he was thinking about was wor worldly gain. All he was thinking about was how to pad his pockets. Uh, but it, the whole time he was thinking that, God was saying, I'm moving the chess pieces. I'm moving it the way that it has to be. And you know what? We look at the world that we live in. Uh, we look at the way things are going uh, and the, the seemingly of the uprising of evil uh, and the seemingly uh, the acceptance uh, of wrong. Wrong has become right and right has become wrong. And it seems like everything is flipped upside down uh, and we're wondering what is going on. Why is God allowing these people uh, uh, to rule over this? Could it be the same reason uh, that, that God is letting what is going on today is the same reason that God was letting it go on back then because back then He was preparing for the birth of the Redeemer, but now He's preparing for the return of the Redeemer. I'm telling you, things that are going on are not just happenstance. The things that are transpiring are not just by a circumstance, but reality of it is, is we are living in a prophetic day just as much as it was when Jesus was born. As they were, as God was moving the chess pieces for Him to be born the first time, and now God is beginning to move the chess pieces for Jesus to come the second time. And so we see the situation here, the, the setting of what is going on. Then we see the sadness of, of, this, of this scene, of this event that has taken place in verse number 7. We find that Mary's, they have, God has moved the chess pieces to get uh, to get Mary where she is supposed to be. Uh, they have made this 70 mile trip. Uh, um, this would be extremely hard for anybody, but I could not imagine the, the, uh, the hardship it would be uh, for Mary as she is carrying uh, this child uh, and having to endure the treacherous trip uh, that she has taken. And so now there again, remember, uh, we look at, uh, a lot of times we look at this, this uh, the verse number 7, where it says there's no room for them in the end, and we think, oh, how, how horrible, how wicked it was of that innkeeper not to give this expectant lady a room in the end. But you've got, uh, you've got to remember, it was the reason he did not give them, uh, give them room was, was simply because he didn't have room. There, there's an influx of people in Bethlehem at this time. 
There's there's people traveling from all over having to come to their place of lineage. And so we find that this this, uh, sadness is is there again. There's no room. And it's not because the innkeeper is being being rude or, or, or anything of that nature. It's just simply because there's an influx of people. But there again, even this, even in there not being room for him in the inn, is a foretelling of what his life will be. Because if you remember in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse number 11 says, says he came into his own and his own... Received him not. So even the issue of not being a place for him in the end is beginning to foretell his life. A lot of times when we when we see a newborn baby, we say things like this, boy, they have their whole life ahead of them. They can make their life what they want it to be. But that was not the case with Jesus. Even in his birth, the, the, the picture of his life is found in his birth. From the very beginning, everything you see about the birth of Christ predicts what his life will be like. When there's no room, it predicts that of, first John, that of John chapter number 1, verse number 11. That there's going to be people that will not receive him. Then you see in verse number seven that she is there. She's brought forth her firstborn son. She's wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Now it was not it was not uncommon for babies to be wrapped, but it was uncommon for babies to be wrapped in what they specifically called swaddling clothes, because at this time. Swaddling clothes was used for one purpose. It was used to wrap dead people in. It was used for when they would, when a person would die and they would anoint their body and prepare their body for burial. As they would pour those spices and those ointments on that body, then they would wrap that body in what they called swaddling clothes. So even in his birth, he was surrounded by the reality of death. So you have the end, you have the swaddling clothes, but then you have the manger. Now there again, this, this is a place that is used to feed animals. This is, this is the place where animals come to find that which sustains them. And it's interesting that one of the names of Jesus recorded in the Bible is that He is the bread of life. And in His birth, the bread of life was placed in a place where the animals come to find sustainment for life. And that manger predicts and shows us that He is the place where people come to find sustaining, find sustainment for their life. So everything about the birth of Jesus predicts and pictures one thing, and that is that He was sincerely and surely born 
simply to die for us. So as we think about this, there again, this, this no room for him in the end. All, all that's just kind of introduction and this is, this is what I, in, in my mind. Just as this, this innkeeper. Now they did not have room for, G, for Jesus because simply because there just was no room. Other things, other people had filled up the rooms. And you know what I'm convinced of? I'm convinced of us, of many of us today are in the same predicament that is found in verse number 7 because there was no room for them in the end. It's because just as other people had filled up the room in this day, other things has filled up the room in our life. So it's as almost as if they're getting things are even in the birth of Jesus, everything is almost seemingly foretold that that that's the way it is in our life a lot of times. Just as there's no room, was no room for him there in the end, a lot of times there's no room for us, for him in our life simply because other things have have made made a residence where Jesus is supposed to be. And there again, after all that Christ has done, after he has he has he was born for us, he died for us, he paid our sin debt, he blesses us, but yet so many times there's still no room for Christ. You think about just just think about this for a moment. And it's not just at Christmas there's no room for, for Him in our life. But it seems like it's that way a lot of times all year long. Now, there again, I understand that there's a lot of people that would be here today that could be here for one for sickness. And so I'm not necessarily talking about, talking about our folks. But I want you to think about people you know. They can't be faithful to church because Sunday is their only free day. So they think. They, they can't come to church on Sunday because they, they work Monday through Saturday and so they have to be off on Sunday. But yet, isn't it amazing that, that most of the, they can take off vacation, they can take off vacation time to do what they want to do. Let's just be real honest. The reason, the reason a lot of times there's no room for Jesus in our life is because something other has taken his place. Many people say we can't. They can't be faithful to church because it's our only free day. Many times we can't read our Bible because our t- favorite television show is all. Many times we can't pray. We can't start our day off right in prayer because of the fact that we've got to find out what happened on social media while we were asleep. Now there again, I don't be honest, and I know I know some of you probably don't do this. Uh, but a lot of us younger generation, man, the first thing we, a lot of times we do when our eyes open is the first thing we do is reach for that phone. And man, we'll scroll and scroll and scroll. And instead of praying and asking God to guide us throughout the day, man, we're looking at all kind of drama and all kind of just junk and filling our mind with things. There again, there's no room for Jesus because we're feeling it with other things. And so we, so reality is we're no different than, than what is going on here. And we, we, a lot of times I've heard, I've heard preachers that have got up and, and I mean, just, just 
all but preached this innkeeper into hell because he would not give Jesus a room. But we're no reality of it. He was just doing all he could do. But yet, how many of us, we should really have, our, have the Dickens preached out of us because we feel it, we fill our lives with things that don't have to be there. And Jesus should be there. Many, oftentimes, we can't offer Jesus room in our life because all the rooms of our life are filled with things that are insignificant and things that are absolutely useless. Listen, I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching with you. So many times I find myself filling my day with that things that at the end of the day don't mean nothing. And at the end of the day, I, I, I look back at the things I filled my day with and I didn't profit anything off of it. I should have been filling my day with Christ. And if you and I will fill our day with Christ, there'll never be a day that we come to the end of it and say we did not profit from it. But if you and I exclude Him, every day will be a day that we have to look at our life and say I did not profit from this day because I excluded Christ. Sure, you may be able to look at it and you may think that you profited from a worldly standpoint. And you may have, you may have, you, that by the end of that day, you may have more money than you had to start off with. But do you, how many of you know that God can get your money? God can get your health. And the reality of it is, is we are filling our life with things that in a moment can be taken away. But the one thing that the government, the world, police, another nation, the one thing nobody can take away from us is the one thing we neglect the most. Everything you and I have can be taken from us outside of the Lord Jesus can be taken from us in an instant. But there again, the one thing that nobody can take a lot of times is the one thing that we neglect so much. Song leader, musician, come. I want us to really consider this morning is, is there really room for Christ in yours and my life? Or have we so filled it with unnecessary, useless things that really there's no room for Christ anymore? And what, what sad reality it would be for us to meet Christ and Him say,
I had so much more for you. I, I had so much more that I could offer you. But there was no room for me in your life. There was so much more I could have used you to accomplish. But there's no room for me. That there's so much more your family could have, could have enjoyed and could have experienced. There's just no room. Let's just say, I think it's sometimes that way in church too. We get so busy doing what we do that sometimes I wonder if we make room for Christ. Sometimes I wonder if we're we don't, we don't have this preconceived idea of how everything is supposed to go. That sometimes Christ looks at the church and says, I had so much more I could have done. So much more you could have experienced. But there was no room for me. Man. afraid I'll stand up before, before God and as a preacher he'll say there's so much more I could have done, for, done, done with you so much more places you, I could have used you but a lot of times there's just no room for me what a heartbreaking reality is that many of us would fall into the category worse than that of this innkeeper often falls into because there's just no room. And it's not because of good things have filled it. It's because that of useless, unnecessary things has so filled the rooms of our life that Christ is no longer there. No wonder when you find in Revelation chapter number 3, you find the church of Laodicea. And what does the Bible say? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Why? Why? Because they had so... It wasn't because they wasn't doing nothing. Oh, the church of Laodicea was busy. The Christian of Laodicea was busy doing what they've always done. But they had been become so busy that they had filled the rooms with everything else other than Christ. What, what, what sad reality is that I and you have so filled our rooms of our life there's no room. There's no room. But I'm glad that the Lord can clean out some rooms in our life. But do you know something? God will never go where you do not invite Him. 
Jesus Christ is the perfect gentleman. He'll never go anywhere he's not invited. And friend, if you have a room in your heart that you need Jesus to come into, He'll never come into it until you unlock the door and ask Him to come in. A lot of us, if we're honest, we have, our rooms are filled and there's no room for Jesus. But you know what? Jesus isn't going to kick down the door. You know what He's waiting on? He's waiting on us to open up the door and say, Lord, You clean it out. And you make room for yourself. Oh, how we need to spend some time giving the Lord keys to the doors of our heart, the doors of our life, and say they're yours. What don't need to be there? Remove it. But fill it with you. This is just a funny, but it is reality. When we moved, KK threw away Tons of stuff. Now, all the stuff that she threw away has been replaced with something else. And isn't that the way life is? When you empty out one thing, something will replace it. And somewhere down the line, we have kicked Jesus out and it has been replaced with something. Because where there's a hole, something will fill it. So now it's time for us to throw out all that stuff and let Jesus come back to His rightful place. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for grace. God, I pray that you would help us. God, help us not to be those people that have no room for you. And God, I pray that you'd speak to every heart that's present. God, if there's those of us that have filled our life with such things other than you, I pray you'd help us to give you the keys, open the door, and let you have a good spring cleaning. And God, that you feel with your presence and with your love and your grace and your will, God, that you would feel all the things with you that need to be emptied out. Help us in this invitation. Every head bowed, every eye closed as you're standing to your feet. Brother Mark's coming. Why don't you come do business with the Lord?